We started this series today, and I know that whenever you go into marriage, when you go into parenting, you kind of get this ideal of what you want, what you're looking for, what you're hoping your children look like as you send them out into this world, as you launch them into this world, you want them to kind of walk a certain way, think a certain thing, and kind of move in that direction. We have this kind of preconceived ideas and then reality hits us and that's not really what always comes out. So I have to admit here today and starting this series, this is a very intimidating position that I'm in right now. Uh, Standing before you, pastors live in glass houses uh, and when you have children, uh, they just throw rocks at those glass houses, okay? And uh, and so it's we're, we're not a perfect family. In fact, that's what makes it so intimidating. As I stand up here to try to talk about parenting, try to come from scripture and from personal experience. It is, it's just not, it's not proper for me to say, this is how you have to do it. Okay. So I'm not going to come with formulas. There's lots of books out there with formulas. We've had some of the greatest speakers come to our church and talk about their formulas. Um, Kevin Lehman, probably the most succinct, in-your-face kind of formula. I have a new kid by Friday. I absolutely have read it and agree with it and think he's on the right track, but I've also heard and read of grace-based parenting. And I also uh, know pa- uh, parents who try growing kids God's way. And, and then we just got through having Gary Thomas here, and, and Sacred Parenting is a, is a whole other seminar that he does. So there's lots out there. I'm not going to be given formulas, okay? I'm going to be sharing a lot from experience. Experience and uh, in 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 hopefully a humble fashion that we haven't figured it out, Lori and I. We're still on a journey in this whole process. I'm not like the pastor who went to college and got his degree in psychology and then went to seminary and got his degree in theology so he could mess with your mind and your soul all at the same time. And, And he stood up and he had this message series 10 surefire ways to raise your children and he didn't have a child uh and and, but he had 10 surefire ways he developed into a full-length series of messages and 10 messages and 10 points and all that kind of stuff and then he had his first child after his first child he revised that message series changed it tweaked it down a little bit he had five suggestions uh, for raising your children. And then he ended up having two children. Uh, he had one of the terrible twos. He had one that was going to be a teenager. He had the whole, the whole gamut of things. And then he stood up with his one sermon, not ten sermons, but one sermon. And he said, here's two or three suggestions that may or may not work. Good luck. And that was the, his message at the end. So when it comes to parenting, the more you parent, the more you realize you're not a perfect parent, the more your kids remind you're not, you're not a perfect parent. But and when I talk about a resume, uh, I do have a resume in raising children. This is my first series of messages on parenting in 22 years in ministry. I've been a parent for 21 years, uh, along with Lori. I've been a parent for 21 years. Our daughter, Jordan, here's a family photo of our three kids. Jordan turned 21 this week. She's engaged to be married. She will be married here on June 14th, I believe it is. I will cry like a baby as I give her away and marry her. Now, how how I'm going to do that at the same time uh, is going to be a a challenge and maintain some some sense of 
of composure about myself. Uh, she has got a great uh, fiancé in Tiernan uh, McGrath, and just looking forward to those, those lives and years uh, of sharing that together with them. She's a, a sophomore, junior, somewhere in there, uh, at Liberty University, and has a, is studying um, graphic design but also looking at intercultural studies because she and her fiancé feel called to, to serve internationally. And so we're going to have to have a lot of frequent flyer miles to be able to see our grandbabies someday. Uh, but also got Caleb. Caleb is uh, uh, the, 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 the boy on the far right there. If you, again, some of you all know my family, but if you're new to Grace Point, you don't know my family. And you don't, see, you don't see the two oldest for sure because they're not around anymore. Caleb is a second-year student at West Point Military Academy, and he is studying international relations. Uh, and so he is going to be the next president, or he's going to be a president of the United States someday. So about 2040, uh, something like that, get ready to write his name in if it's not on the ballot, because uh, I'm writing it in. No, seriously, I, I, I love that boy, and he's got uh, big visions, and, and uh, he's going to be president one day. All right, so then I got the, the, the last one that we have is Joshua, and he's 14. Uh, now, we got the first two out of the nest pretty quick or together, and then it's going to take both of us to get the other one out of the nest. These are our promised land kids. If you notice, Joshua and Caleb were the only two uh, remaining of the Israelites that crossed over the Jordan River. So that's how you can remember our kids' names. Uh, so Joshua, he is 14, and, uh, and he has got a big heart. Uh, we've seen God do a lot of good things in his heart over the past six months even, maybe less than that. Uh, he's uh, always had a big heart, but this past, uh, this past summer at youth camp, uh, God got a hold of him. And we thought, okay, good youth group camp high kind of experience. But he came back and put action immediately to it. He committed that when he came back that he was going to take his lawn mowing money for the summer and he was going to serve with it, use it for church planning internationally, use it to drill well in some village internationally. And we thought, that's a really good idea. We'll see if that happens. He has saved up 75% of his lawn mowing money throughout the summer and saved over $300. Lori and I made the deal that every dollar you give, we'll give a dollar. So he has $700 right now. He's in South Asia and he is looking for a project and how he can invest it in, in, in the people, blessing them body, soul, and spirit. So we're excited about our three kids. Uh, it's going to take, uh, uh, it takes a lot to raise children. Uh, it's, it's next to marriage. I think it's the hardest thing, uh, is, is raising your kids and hopefully they go on a path that is honorable and, and, and good. And there are no guarantees. There's, the thing about parenting versus your own individual life, you can claim pretty much your own doing of your own individual life. Either you're failing, you're undoing, or you're doing. You can pretty much blame yourself or be a self-made person. And, I, and then you can take that too far to humanism, but I'm not going there. But your children... You can do everything right, and then who knows what's going to happen. But all you can do is hopefully you can do everything that you can right, and then hopefully you can put them in an environment so that they can and will choose and make the right choices in life. But there's no guarantees. But I'll guarantee you this. If you just throw caution to the wind in your parenting... You'll be doing everything wrong, and your children will most certainly find the wrong path to take of the many wrong paths that are out there. 
So the best thing we can do is as parents, humble ourselves, lean in and say, how can I learn more, go more further with this in my faith? A couple of things that you need to start having core values for your family. A couple of core values that we've had in our home uh, that we want our children to take when they leave our home is we want our children to think globally, live globally. And we're surely seeing that already being lived out. If you ask our kids, do you want to go to a third world country or a first world amusement park for a vacation? They'll choose a third world country over the first world amusement park any day of the week. And so our children think globally for God so loved the what? The world. And so we want our kids to love the world. The second thing that we core value is we want them to think big picture. We don't want them to just think right now. They just want to think five feet in front of them in the moment. We want them to think down the road. Caleb, you want to be the president of the United States? You need to make sure you get the best education you can. You need to make sure you do the right things. Whatever you're going to do, you want to help a a village in Africa or in India, Josh, you're going to have to start making sacrifices now to be able to do that then. So think big picture. You may have to sacrifice things today to uh, to be able to get to where you want to go. Now, when it comes down to this, this is just helping your kids to think well. If they think well, then they will make good decisions. If they make good decisions, then they will live well. So figure out what are those core values you want your children to leave home with and start now modeling it. Don't just teach it. Model it. You will teach what you know, but you will reproduce who you are. And so if you don't start modeling it now and who you are and where you're going, then they won't go there. They're not going to get there by accident. They're going to get there on purpose. Stephen Covey, one of the first leadership book, books I read was The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. read it in my 20s. He came up with this statement in there, begin with the end in mind. What if when you have that first child, you begin right then thinking, what are the core values that I want my children, the core ethics, the core morals that I want my children to leave home with, to own inside of their heart of hearts? I want that to be for them. Seneca, a Roman philosopher, said it like this, You must know to which harbor you are heading if you are to catch the right wind to take you there. You've got to have a direction. You've got to know to which harbor you are heading if you ever hope the wind is going to take you there. So where are you taking your family? Now, again... I'm debunking ideal families, like you saw in the video in the beginning. We're not talking about ideal families. Ideal families is not where we're going with this. Uh, This is not the course. This is not the series. This is not the messages on that. We're talking today, and we're talking throughout the series about intentional families, intentional parenting. Not ideal, intentional. All right? And and, and listen, today, in this message, I may raise more questions than, than I give answers. In fact, I may stir inside of you a a, a kind of a disequilibrium in your soul and in your parenting that, that, that you're just not there. Listen, we think at Grace Point Church not in sermons but in series. This is a series that's going to start today, but it's not going to end until Thanksgiving. So we're going to be going through this for a while. And if you just hop, skip, and jump in and around, you're not going to get the full breadth and width and depth of this. And so I would say lean in, take notes, start putting things into into play. Ideal parenting will leave you defeated and frustrated. If you sit there and you look at some other family and you say, well, I wish my kids were like theirs. Well, I wish I could parent like that. I wish my spouse believed the way I believed about, about this or that. Ideal parenting will leave you discouraged. But listen, intentional parenting, 
these are the core values, these are the core ethics, these are the core morals that we want, then this is, now we got hope. Now we have a plan. Because all those books that I just mentioned in the very beginning, if you take one of those methods of parenting, and you take one formula and you say, we're going to raise our kids on this formula, get ready, you're going to get your world rocked. Because one formula that may work for one child won't work for the other child. And is it about the formula at the end of the day, or is it about who that child is and where that child's going to go with their life and who they become in this world. And so let me put a little disclaimer out there too because you may be sitting in this room and saying, I'm not married. I'm not, I don't have children. And, I, I, and in fact, I, it's, it's, that's down the road in my life. You may be in this room today and I may be in this series. You may be saying, why am I even here? My, my, my husband and I, my wife and I, we've tried to have children we can't. You know, and you're in that kind of mode. It's like this series it has absolutely nothing to do with me. Listen, no, absolutely not. If you are a Sunday school teacher, if you are a small group leader, if you are a big brother, big sister, if you are a, 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 an aunt or an uncle, I can tell you right now from my experience in growing up, you can make one of the biggest impacts on people's lives. And outside of some of the messages, like the message on discipline in a couple of weeks, everything's going to pertain to what we're talking about, to your life. And as you mentor, as you disciple, the, the men that made some of the biggest impacts in my life, you know who they were growing up whenever I didn't have an absentee father situation? Were my Sunday school teachers. Took us camping, did things with us, that poured into us was an example of what manhood should look like. My aunt and uncles that, 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 that were together as a family, they showed me what marriage looks like. That was an example to me to follow that I helped, helped set a path, a new path for me to live on and to live out. And so you can make a difference. And we have so many things that we get our children into doing and they're doing this and they're doing that. And we have to be careful that we don't sign our kids up for everything. And get them doing everything, every activity. Because when we do that, we will think that that is what will make our child great. Doing all this stuff. Being on that traveling team. Signing up for this, taking violin lessons and cooking classes and sewing classes. And whatever other classes that you can sign up Beware. Because the question is not what is my child doing, but who is my child becoming? And if you don't distinguish between that right there, you will miss it as a parent. Because you might do one thing and do one thing well versus ten things that you could spread your children out doing and they not do any of them well. And it really not impact them. Who are they becoming? So many times parents, parents are the problem with overcrowding, overloading the children. Not every opportunity... Listen to this, parents... Not every opportunity should you take. Many times the opportunities become obstacles in our lives to keeping our children from becoming. In fact, there's a book out called Overscheduled Child. And they actually use a phrase in there called the achievement by proxy where they actually blame a lot of the over-activities and the over-achievement and the over-the-over-the-over of our kids is that we as adults, 
want our kids to excel further, faster, uh, longer than we did. So what we do is we shove onto their life this achievement by proxy that becomes a very dangerous thing. In fact, even they go on to say this, it becomes imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Dads, if you think the football player is going to become a football player like you, he may not. I had realized with my firstborn son, as a sports guy who had a ball in my hand the entire time, I had to learn very quickly or I was going to be a frustrated dad and I was going to have a frustrated son that he was not a ball player. And so learning how to take off my preconceived ideas and make sure my child is becoming and not just doing. Not just doing all the activities. If you have your Bibles, look at Luke chapter 2. We're going to start right at the epicenter of the Scriptures. We're going to go straight to Jesus and we're going to look at his life and how did he become. Hey Mike, hold on just a minute. Jesus is God. He always was. He always will be. I understand all that. But you also got to realize that Jesus, as much as he was fully God, fully divine, fully perfect in every sense of the word, he was also fully man. And I know that rocks our world when we try to rationalize that and figure that out. He was fully man. He put on flesh. He got tired. He sweat. He cried. He got blisters. He went through all the stages of development that a child could go through. Sinless though it might have been, he still went through them all. In fact, we see his life picked up in the Gospels. And really, we just see about three years of his life. In fact, throw that, that, that little chart up there. And you'll see the life of Christ. And really, if you look at the Gospel of Luke, which is the most full detail of the Gospels, of the life of Christ, you find in, in the first eight days of Jesus' life, you find it in the first two chapters. Eight days, two chapters, all right? So you have that. Then you skip forward and you find at age 12, because he's in the temple, we find one scene there. That's about it. He's in the temple, so we know he's around age 12 or 13. He had to have gone through the bar mitzvah at that point. And then from, skip over uh, the next one, you go, we've got chapter 3 to chapter 24 covers just three years of his life. And then there's this span of time. So prior back to that, becoming an adult, starting his ministry, from age 12 to about age 30, about 14, 15 years, excuse me, 16, 17, 18 years, we don't know a whole lot. In fact, we have one verse in the timeline that is devoted to that. So what I want us to do is I want to look at one verse today. I want to take one snapshot of the life of Christ and to see how he developed in those formative years, in those teenage years, in those early adult years. And so look at your life if you're in your 20s. Look at your life if you have children and you're helping to raise them or you're a grandparent and you're helping to raise them. Look at your children's life and how are they developing in these areas of, uh, of their own individual life. Luke chapter 2, verse 52. Here it is. Very quick. Close your eyes. You'll miss it. And Jesus increased in wisdom, in stature, in favor with God and with man. You see there four, I think, if you will, four key areas of maturity that we need to make sure our children go out with, four markers, if you will, of maturity in a child or in an individual, and just looking at the life of Christ. And so let's look at these real quickly, because whenever you look at this in the message, the way it paraphrases, it says, Jesus matured. 
So let's just take that right there. Jesus matured. Jesus increased. Jesus became. So how did he become? Number one, he, there's depth of insight. There's a depth of insight about Jesus that grew. Now, it's hard for some people to rationalize this. When Jesus, that Jesus might have given up his omnipotence, that he didn't know everything while he was walking on the earth, and that he gave up part of that to become man. But there's other scriptures that would support that. But let's just keep moving past that just long enough to say this, that Jesus increased. He grew in this area of his life. He had a depth of insight. Chuck Swindoll says that uh, wisdom is God's given ability to see life objectively and to handle life with stability. Now, we spend so much time making sure our children get a good education, being a part of the PTO, going to private schools or charter schools or home schools, that they get the best education. And that is a very good and honorable thing. But are we making sure our children get wisdom? They have wisdom. They have the objectivity of life. They have the stability in their decisions to make good, sound, just, and right decisions. See, knowledge is good, but wisdom is great. Knowledge is earned, wisdom is, uh, is acquired, is granted. You take an exam to test the depth of your knowledge, you live life to test the depth of your wisdom. Knowledge comes from a man, wisdom comes from God. You can be an educated idiot and get a job today. In fact, you can get a job in Washington, D.C. today if you're a really educated idiot. No particular political parties there were offended in that statement. Everyone was. (laughs) Or you can be a very skilled musician, artist, actor, and you can be a very skilled person and make the tabloids and just show the lack of wisdom. They just let it be aired in the tabloid news. People's like names like Michael and... Brittany and Lindsay and late, latest Miley. Miley said in, in, an art, in an article that was in Time magazine two weeks ago, she said, I was an adult when I was supposed to be a kid. And now I'm an adult and I'm acting like a kid. At least she knows her own immaturity. The sad part is, is that sells. We watch that and we look that and watch out We'll be careful. We might even emulate that. Our children as well. Be very, very careful that we don't become the Kardashians of Northwest Arkansas. That our, our lack of depth of insight, our, our lack of real wisdom, knowledge may take you so far, but wisdom will get you there safely. Dennis Rainey, who I respect immensely, shared on one of his radio broadcasts about what he thought were key questions that every child needs to be able to answer when they leave the home. So jot these down and make sure your children can answer these. These are marks of wisdom, the ability to have objectivity and stability about life's decisions. He had three. I'm adding a fourth because I'm improving on Dennis Rainey, okay? So here's, here's the first one, identity. Who am I? Your children need to know who they are. Not your last name, not their first name, not their social security number. They need to know who they are in gender. So many children today are being told lies about gender identity. They need to understand gender, who they are, personalities, their giftedness. Tell your children, you are so good at this. 
You could, you could make a millions doing this. You could impact the world. You could change society. Cast to your children a vision of who they could become. Help them to see who they are because in the midst of the hormones, in the midst of the pressures, in the midst of the media, in the midst of it all, they don't know who they are. We need to help them as parents. Proverbs 22, 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. We've quoted that verse as a promise so many times. It's a proverb. It's not a promise. But it does say this, Train up a child in the way he should go. Now, sometimes we've abused that verse, misused that verse to mean something that it's not. It literally means train up a child in the way he's bent. Do you realize your child, every one of your children is bent differently? They're not bent the way you want them to be bent. They're not bent like you. They may be a combination of you and your spouse. The birth order plays into that. Personality plays into that. Gender plays into that. Their environment plays into that. So much of that plays into, into their life. Help them go in the way that they are bent. Know who I am. Also, when your children leave, they need to know how do I love. How do I love well? In the day of sexual freedom, the day of abuses that are bound, in a day where they've been manipulated while they're even still at home and with people that they should have trusted, we need to help our children to know how to love and how to be loved. Character is another thing. What do I believe? Your children will go out of the house and they will test what they believe if you only spoon-fed them their beliefs. Help the children own their beliefs. Help them walk through the critical moments of life and the decisions of life and don't answer the questions for them. Ask the questions to them. Ask them penetrating heart-level questions. Are you sure you want to do this? Is this really the guy that you want to spend the rest of your life with? Oh, Dad, Mom, don't do that. You know, these are questions that you've got to put into their minds. They need to understand what they believe, why they believe it, and they need to own that deep inside of them. The book of Proverbs is really a book written to a son from a father, passing on the wisdom from one generation to the next. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. Listen, my son, to your father's instructions. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. Now notice this. It's a mother-father combination. And I realize that there are divorces in this room, but as best you can, put aside the differences that drove you apart and come to the common ground of what brings you together, which is children, and agree on some core values that you're going to raise your children. You may do it differently. You may still see things differently. But have that. And here's what happens. You'll pimp your kids out if you do that. They are a garland to, of, of, to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. You will actually prepare them for life. Help them to know what they believe. Here's the one I added. A purpose. What is my mission? Help your children to know that life is bigger than them. That there's a God that's bigger than them. That God has a mission out there. That they get to be a part of it. God rocked my world when I was 16 years of age and I had every reason for God not to use me and then He took me to Jeremiah chapter 1 and He showed me how He took a a teenage boy and how God had a plan for him. Throw that verse up on the screen. He says, Before I formed you in the womb. Notice when God starts His handiwork in the womb. I'll let you draw your own conclusions on that. I knew you before you were born. I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. That was me. I didn't want to speak 
a group of three people, let alone 300 people. I don't know how to speak. I'm too young. But the Lord said to me, do, you not, do not say I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send you, wherever I go and wherever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you. I will rescue you. God gave me that verse at 16. It revolutionized my life. And here I stand before you today, still living out that mission. Help your children to see a bigger purpose of why they live and what they're about and why they're here on the planet. The second thing that we see in this passage, Jesus grew in stature. He matured in stature. Physical wellness for life is what I would call about that. Now, we, I'm not, I don't know how to say it any other way, but he grew physically. He became stronger. The Bible even says in verse chapter 20, chapter 20, verse 40, it says that he became strong. Now, I don't know if he had a six-pack abs and a gun show on him or any... I don't, I don't know exactly what he had, but he was the son of a carpenter. So he, he, I have to believe he was probably pretty fit. He grew in stature. He physically was developing well. Now let me say this. I may get a little close to home here. But I think it's appropriate. Childhood obesity that we see in our nation is not good. Obesity does not make you stronger. We need to make sure our children are becoming healthier and st- stronger. Thomas Aquinas put it in the early church. He said the seven deadly sins of the church, one of those was gluttony. And yet we don't see that as an issue in our culture today. Childhood obesity has tripled or doubled. Adolescent has tripled in the past 30 years. Uh, Kudos to Michelle Obama for at least challenging the culture of our day for our kids to get moving again. This should be a verse that should, you should check your own life according to Deuteronomy 33.25. When Moses was giving a blessing over the tribes of Israel, he comes to Asher and he said, strength equal to my days. Now just think that, think about that for a moment. Let me tell you a story. I was robbing God. I was robbing this church. I was robbing my family for a number of years. And it was only getting worse. Because of my eating habits, because of my lack or void and nil exercising, because I was getting weaker, I was getting older, I was getting worse and worse out of shape. It was not a good thing. I would literally come in and I would work hard half a day. And then I would go out and pig out for lunch. And then I would come back in and I would be so tired all day long. All afternoon I'd have to pump caffeine into my body. I would have to try to stay awake. I was working on about 50% productivity. That's robbing God. That's robbing this church. I'd go home and I'd be so tired, I don't have time to do anything with the kids. I'm just going to sit down and I'm just going to push this clicker. And I would just watch TV. No time for the kids. I was robbing God. I was robbing you. I was robbing, I was robbing my family. And then God woke me up to this verse right here. I had more days than I had strength. I need to figure out how to increase my strength for the days that He had given me. In your life, in your children's life, help your children grow in stature, to grow in strength, to have strength equal to their days. Number three, an endearing and growing relationship with God. This is a plan. This is an intentional plan that I want my kids on because Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God. How can the Son of God, the perfect Son of God, who has never sinned, grow in anything? Well, I'm going to let you wrestle with that one for a while. But he grew in wisdom and favor with God. So there's a relationship element here. 
that is really beautiful. Jesus had this about him, that he wouldn't do anything unless God was telling him to do it. He lived a very God-centered life, Father-centered life. He even said in John 5, verse 19, he says, I can't do anything on my own. I only do what the Father tells me to do. And then you can also find whenever he was with his disciples and they were about to eat and he was busy doing ministry. And they said, hey, come on, sit down in here and eat. In John 4, he says this, he says, no, my food is to do the will of my Father and to finish his work. See, Jesus lived for the Father. It was about the Father. It was about a relationship with the Father. We have changed in our culture. We have digressed in our culture where it's no longer a God-centered culture. It's a me-centered culture. And I'm going to point back to the baby boomers that are in the room. I'm going to blame you for starting it, but I'm going to blame me for perfecting it. And I'm going to blame my generation for passing it on to the next generation. The baby boomers, they were born in 1946 to 1964. Right after the Great Depression, right after World War II, they, they came and, and they are nicknamed not just the boomer generation, but the me generation. Because they grew up with those parents that pinched every dime and held everything and, and they wouldn't buy things and they wouldn't spend frivolously. And, and so they came out of that generation and said, hey, we're going to buy what we want to buy. We're going to do what we want to do. And the boomers became very wealthy and very affluent and they did a lot and they spent a lot and they got in debt a lot. It was that generation that really brought on debt into our culture. But we have only compounded it in the buster generation, the millennial generation, the Gen Y or whatever you want to call it, generation. It's made it about us. We have made it about us and what we want when we want it. And it's about us and it's not a God-centered culture anymore. John Piper even said many people are willing to be God-centered as long as they feel that God is man-centered. That's a sad tell. I will be God-centered as long as, God, you focus on me and make me first. It affects our theology, this man-centeredness. It affects our parenting. They were even created a child-centered world where we overfill our children with all these activities. And we, we, we have to give every child a trophy because no child can be left behind in a trophy. Uh, we can't give a child an unfailing grade because of insufficient work because we don't want to hurt their little ego or, little, or what's going on. And we can't tell them no. We can't dare spank them. And we live in this child-centered world. We think we're doing what's best for them, and actually we're creating hedonistic little suckers. <laughs> Not that I have an opinion on the matter. <laughs> the problem is, again, I said this affects our theology, affects our parenting, it also affects our spirituality and our walk with God, because in this generation, this just came out a couple of weeks ago, Barna says that six in ten children, are, excuse me, young people will leave the church when they leave the home. Fifty-nine percent will leave the church when they leave the home. Listen, we can't, it's not about just coming to church. If it's not being, if we're not growing and endearing, maturing, fostering relationship with God Almighty where it grows and matures, if I'm not fostering that in my children, if I'm just spoon feeding them, if I'm making it about them, I'm missing it. I got to make it about God and about what He's about and His plan. We're going to be offering some classes starting next Sunday. Only one time, you miss, you miss out. You've heard me say that before. Next Sunday afternoon is one of those where we're going to offer three classes. These are three classes. Listen, if you have a teenager who has one of these little crazy old things that carries them around and they're attached to and they sleep with it and they even preach on the stage with it, you know, whatever, you need to keep, you need to get your kid, you need to be as an adult a part of this. You need to learn out where they're getting their sex education and how you can counter that. 
You're going to need to talk about boundaries in your home and how you're going to set up some good, healthy, safe boundaries that will help steer your children forward. You need to sign up for that class. Age-appropriate discipline? Listen, this is a hot-button topic. I'm going to have one entire message on scriptural views on disciplining our children. That's coming up in a few weeks. The point I'm trying to make is this. You need help? We're going to offer as much help as we can. These are all licensed counselors. These are all that are leading these experienced parents. And so you'll be hearing from them, and some, many of them are members of our, of our church that will be sharing on this one on the 27th and on November the 17th. So sign up online today. Let me tell you of a time that I was proud of my son. And I, and, I, and I really hesitate to share this, but I, I'm going to do it anyway. Because I don't want you to get the opinion of me, if you're first time with us today, that, oh, he's standing up there like some perfect parent, pious as I am. No, I'm not. In fact, this entire series is a very vulnerable series that I'm sharing with you. But let me tell you a, a bright spot. You know, when, whenever Caleb, our middle, our, our middle child, our firstborn son, was applied for West Point, we thought that was a very tall order. I mean, 15,000 applicants, you know, they let 1,000 in, and he was one of the 1,000 that got in. Nominated by two congressmen to be able to get in, we were, we were, we were elated, we were excited. That was, a high, that was a bright spot in our life. But let me tell you, it's been a brighter one. This past spring, when he's with his corps of cadets, when he's with his classmates, in a small Bible study in a basement of a room there on post at West Point, navigators would meet and they would have a Bible study and they'd been meeting for, 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 for the year. And finally, one of the students among his cadet class realized that they were without Christ. The navigator group came around this person. This person gave their life to following Christ. And after they gave their life to following Christ, listen to this. This person turned to Caleb and said, I want you to baptize me. And, uh, of course, shock of shocks, Caleb asked me, what, what do I say? I've never baptized, all this kind of stuff. And this person, this cadet, went on to say, I've watched your life. I've watched you live your faith. I've heard your words, and I've watched your life, and they match up. I want you to baptize me. Listen, we were proud when our son got into West Point, but I was elated whenever my son's faith is being reproduced into other people's faith. Just a proud moment as a dad. Number four, you grow in becoming an influencer of others through life. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and with man. Jesus was able to take people and say, hey, would you follow me? Would you follow me? And I'll make you fishers of men. They'd leave their nets. They'd leave their boats. They'd leave their livelihood. They'd leave their everything. They'd leave it all behind, and they would follow Jesus. Did Jesus strong on them, power them, threaten them? Did he use some kind of title to maneuver them? No, he just was a God-fearing man. It says that they had favor with God. That's charos. It's the Greek word charos, which means thankfulness. It means honor. It means it means uh, kindness. He had had this kind of appeal with people that he was able to win them over. Listen, I want my children to, to be leaders, but I want them to be leaders not because they have a position, but because of who they are as a person. Do you, can you appreciate the difference between positional leaders and personal leaders who just people gravitate to? Put up these contrasting elements. Positional leaders, they lead because they have a title. I'm this person, you've got to follow me. 
They look out for their own uh, fame and fortune. They're guarded in plastic. The leadership is demanded. You follow me because of who I am. I want personal leadership of my children, of myself, that you lead because of your character. Others, you're looking out for others' fame and fortune. You're, you're vulnerable. You're authentic. And what, guess what? Leadership will be granted. It won't be demanded. I want my children to be those kind of leaders. You know where this all begins? It begins with Jesus. Jesus Christ, he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. He lived a life that was absolutely exemplary. But it was, if it weren't for this verse, we wouldn't have a full picture. I don't know where your children are going, are going to be when they're 30 and neither do you. You can want them to be somewhere, but you don't know where they're going to be. And so what you can do as a parent and I can do as a parent is just do all we can do to hopefully steer them, launch them in the right direction. And that hopefully they'll grow in wisdom. Hopefully they'll be healthy. Hopefully they'll, they'll grow in a relationship with God Almighty. And by God's grace, hopefully, 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 they'll become leaders because we need godly leaders. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? You know, you can't give your children what you do not have. And I said this all begins and ends with Jesus, and it really does. You can't give your children Christ if you don't have Christ. You can't give your children an endearing relationship with God that's growing and maturing, growing in favor with God if you, if you don't have that. And you can't give it to the church and say, Church, would you do that? So where you are right now at the beginning of this series of messages, would you self-evaluate? Would you listen to the Spirit of God and help assess where you are at in your own personal walk with God? Because I want to say it again, you will teach what you know, but you will reproduce who you are. And your children see you when the curtains are closed and the doors are locked and the lights are out. They see you. Who are you? Who are you in your relationship with Jesus? Do you, is Jesus your cornerstone, your sure foundation? Are you building your life on Him? If you're not right now, right where your head, where your head bowed and your, your eyes are closed, you just say, Jesus, I give my life to following you. Jesus, I want to follow you. I want you to be my Savior and Lord. I want to grow in wisdom and stature and favor with you and with others. Lord, I thank you for this time. I thank you for these moments. Be our sure foundation. Be our rock. Be what we build our life on. And help us to help our children build their life on you as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and sing with us?